0: Hello and welcome to How to Money, a financial education podcast for young Australians aimed at opening up the conversation around money. In each episode, your host, Kate Campbell, brings in a variety of guests to explore everything from buying shares to starting your own business, all with the aim of kickstarting your personal finance journey. Just a quick reminder that everything we cover in this podcast is for financial education purposes only, and we are not giving you any advice. If you do want advice, please seek the help of a qualified and competent professional and do some research. Remember, it's your money, so take control. Hi, Amy. Thank you so much for joining me on the House To Money podcast today. Thanks, Kate. Good to be here. Now, before we dive into a very interesting topic today, I'd love to hear a little bit more about you and your journey with property in Australia.
1: Oh, so I have my own buyer's agent business And I've been in the property industry since 2012. I started off in property leasing and then have been doing advocacy ever since. And for anyone who doesn't know what a buyer's agent is, I help people buy properties. So it's kind of like the opposite of a real estate agent, but I help people create their strategies. I help them find the properties, do all of the due diligence and the research, and then the negotiation and auction bidding. So from start to finish, and I'm also a property owner and investor myself. I've done renovations, I've done property development, and I just really love property.
0: Well, you're the perfect person for today's episode because I've had many requests to actually cover some Property 101 foundations on the podcast. And up until now, up until sort of 2020, I haven't been that interested in property myself, which is probably why I haven't really gone there on the podcast I guess this year it has become a little bit more interesting to me. So I've got Amy on today to talk about some of the basics to know when you're looking for a first home, which is perfect for me to learn about right now. So I thought we'd dive in with sort of how do you work out where to start in your home buying journey?
1: This is a really challenging thing because quite often at the very beginning, you might be quite some time away from being financially ready to buy a property. So I think that a good idea is to start thinking about or doing a bit of research into how much that type of property you're looking for could cost. Because then by having that benchmark, we can then say, all right, this is how much we're going to aim to spend. Therefore, this is how much we need to save. And I think unless you have that goal in place, it can be really hard to create a budget and create a savings plan. Otherwise, you're just putting money here and you know, aside here and there and you don't have a time frame or you don't have specific goals. So it's a bit of a chicken and the egg scenario where you don't necessarily know how much that property is gonna be because you just this might be a couple of years away we're talking about and we don't know where prices could be when in a few years or you I mean you might be in a totally different situation in a few years if you change jobs or you move into state or you meet someone. So It's kind of hypothetical, but it's a good place to start. And the way that we can actually start working through that is just jumping online, jumping on those major search platforms. We've got realestate.com.au and domain, which are the main ones here in Australia. And when you go onto those websites, there's three main sections there's the for sale area. We can just ignore that area for now. There's the rent area, and then there's the sold section. That's where we're going to do all of our research and that's where we're going to focus on. So I say just jump in there at the very beginning and start typing in different suburbs and different types of properties and having a scroll around and just getting a feel for roughly how much things could be in an area or on a type of property you're considering.
0: Mm, and just maybe if you really like where you're currently living, having a look at just like find places near me and see, is that even an achievable goal?
1: Exactly. There's a little button called map, the map function. You click on the map, you can do a little fly over your suburb and where you live. And you might really I mean, if you live in a fabulous area that you really love, but it's say really close to a capital city, you might see really quickly that two bedroom apartments are selling for a million dollars. And that might <laughs> might not be feasible, in which case you might have to then think, all right, well, where else could I potentially afford? And also, you know, if I can't necessarily afford where I want to live, but I love living here, that might be a reason to investigate rent vesting, which is buying an investment property, but continuing to rent where you love.
0: Mm, And something I've done this year when I've just been going for sort of my hour or two allocated walks during COVID is actually when I see places with for lease or for sale around just sort of whipping out domain and seeing what does this actually cost? What is this two bedroom? So actually having a visual and being able to sort of look at the reality of what this costs or if something has sold, what did it sell for?
1: Exactly. Exactly. Because once we have that property price in mind, there's actually six categories that we need to start saving for. So by understanding the purchase price, we can then figure out what our savings goals should be. So the first and the biggest cost with buying your property is your deposit. Now, your deposit, the ideal goal is 20%. And that's, I know that sounds like a lot of money, but that's because if you have a 20% deposit, you don't have to pay this extra cost called lender's mortgage insurance. And that is a substantial cost. It's added onto the loan. It's not a cost you have to save up for, but it's it's still money. But you could also investigate um, a guarantor loan with your parents, in which case you need or technically need no deposit there. There's government schemes where if you get a place in that, you only need a 5% deposit. So I just say, understand that it's going to be somewhere between that probably 5 and 20% you need to save up for and just understand what the pros and cons are of saving up for different amounts. You're then going to have stamp duty potentially. Now your stamp duty is going to depend on where you live in the purchase price for the property. And that's because in Australia, most states have really good first home buyer concessions for stamp duty. So you can just jump on your state revenue website and pretty quickly see if there's first home buyer concessions for you. Because quite a few first home buyers um, don't necessarily have to pay stamp duty, depending on the state they live in. You also have so that's the second category. The third one is purchase costs. and this is things like our building inspections, our legal people, settlement costs. and this could be, I say, between two and five grand. so that's an extra side cost. Our fourth category is moving costs. That's not too much, but it's something people often forget. The next one is, I think, just understanding how much it's going to cost you to own that property for the first year at least, and not necessarily saving for it, but just budgeting for it and having a plan in place to then make sure you can pay the mortgage, the council rates, the water rates, the insurances, the maintenance, all of these extra costs that all of a sudden you have that you didn't have as a tenant. And then finally, this is one that people often forget but it is very, very important. It's having a buffer emergency savings account, which I recommend being ideally six months worth of expenses, at least three months. And that's for, you know, in case things go wrong, in case something happens, you lose your job or you're unwell and you just can't work, earn an income for a little while. You don't want to then be committing to this big mortgage and then all of a sudden not having any buffer to cover it. So I know that's a lot of money we're talking about, but buying houses house is a really big responsibility and financial commitment. So we always want to be really financially secure and prepared beforehand.
0: Yeah. And I guess if you're really doing your research, you can kind of get an indication of what deposit you'll need, what the stamp duty is in your state, if you have to pay it. Even when I was doing, uh, just having a look at some apartments nearby, you could email them and ask, what are the average water rates and the um, council rates and body call? So they, they're they pretty upfront telling you that if you ask. So you can get an idea of around this area that you'd like, what are those things that you're going to have to prepare for as well? and and body corporate's always a sneaky one I've found.
1: It is, it is body corporate is one of those costs. So when you buy into a block where there's multiple properties, a body corporate is the collective group of all of those owners, but then you've got a body corporate manager. Think of them like the property manager, but they manage the whole block. And every year you have to pay fees and those fees will go towards things like the insurance for that property, but also the maintenance of it, any administration fees, any just basically running the cost of that property. And if you've got lots of facilities like gyms and pools and you know beautiful lobbies, your fees are going to be much higher. And then you've got to think, well, do I actually care about these things? Are these things that I want to pay for? Because even if you don't use them, you're still paying for them.
0: Mm, and the pool might look fantastic in the glossy brochure of those uh, apartment buildings, but there's a, it's not free and you're going to have to cough up a bit extra for that.
1: I have so many friends that live in those high-density blocks and they never use the gyms or pools because they're just not as good as another local <laughs> gym or pool.
0: Yeah, and they don't usually have all the things you want.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: So if you have done the research and worked out sort of these six different costs and what that could mean and what you're going to have to save for, when is it time to speak to some of the experts like buyers, advocates or mortgage brokers?
1: Well, the mortgage broker is going to be your best friend throughout this whole process. That's the person you speak to at the very beginning. And if you're thinking, well, I don't even know how to work out all of these costs. I just need help. The mortgage broker is going to be the person who will be able to talk you through all of that. So even if you don't think you're ready for a year or even longer, sitting down with them at the very start. And they'll they'll sit down and say, all right, well, based on your circumstances and based on, you know, the type of property you want and whether you've got a guarantor or not, or what kind of schemes or concessions or government programs you can be involved in, this is how much you might need to save. So they can actually get you on that savings plan at the very beginning. So that they can get you to that goal. When you're when you're ready, you can sit back down with them again and say, all right, I've saved up the amount that you told me I need. What next? And then they'll help you go through that finance process. So I do recommend that quite, quite early on. Not all brokers will be super, you know, excited to work with you from that very start. So it is really, it is really important to find a good mortgage broker who is happy to join you on your journey
0: because they're going to hope they're going to get some sort of commission or paycheck at the end of the day. So they're not going to put hours into you if they don't think it's going to happen for years, probably.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And if a mortgage broker has invested a lot of time and energy with you along the journey, then go back to them and make sure you use them to help you get your loan because otherwise they don't get paid. Mortgage brokers get paid by the bank once they write the loan for you. So they don't generally charge you upfront. So then I think there needs to be a little bit of loyalty there. And I mean, one of the reasons why we go to a mortgage broker instead of a bank, and this is really important to understand, is a mortgage broker gives you options to all a bunch of different banks, a bunch of different lenders as well. And by doing this, they'll be able to make sure you're getting the right loan product because it's not just about interest rate there's all of these different features and products and um different types of loans and the mortgage broker will be able to say all right based on your circumstances i recommend this type of loan with this bank but they can also give you some options too and that's instead of walking straight into a particular bank they can only sell you what they have and it may or may not be the best option for you
0: yeah so it's like an in person comparison site almost
1: exactly exactly right
0: bit more tailored because I know there's different features that mortgages have, like offset accounts that aren't a feature of everyone. So that's why you have to actually have a look and see what features do you want in your mortgage and uh, does the one you're getting even have that?
1: Absolutely right.
0: Awesome. So what about the pre-approval process? Because that's something I've known a few friends recently have had a bit of trouble with that. And uh, I know that I think I personally spoke to CBA, I think earlier this year, just to do a a research call speaking to one of their home loan specialists and they're like, oh yeah, once it's pre-approved, it's all good. So what
1: about that process? (laughs) Okay. So what pre-approval is, now there's a couple of different types of pre-approval. There's one where you can just, you know, go online and plug all of your details in and you'll get what's called an indicative approval that doesn't really help you with anything that's meaningless because the bank hasn't checked or validated your situation So what you want to do when you're, and this is much closer to when you're actually ready to buy is get um, a fully assessed pre-approval. So that means the bank has actually validated all of your income and expenses. They've checked everything. They've done a credit check and they're saying, all right, based on the information you've provided that we've checked, we are happy to lend you this amount of money. Now, a pre-approval is never a guarantee because the conditions within that pre-approval are generally that you need to have a signed contract and you can't get formal approval until you actually buy the property. And then one of the other conditions is that bank will need to do a bank valuation just to make sure they're happy with what you've paid for it. So a pre-approval is never a 100% guarantee. You can only get that guarantee when you get formal approval, which is after you buy the property. So, there's a little bit of a catch-22 there, in which case you need to understand when you're buying a property, you may want to have it subject to finance. That being said, if you're going to auction, you can't be subject to finance. So, you then need to understand the risks involved.
0: Yeah. And I remember when I was chatting to them, they said they had limits as as a bank on how much of the apartment block they could lend to. So, maybe it was a block of 20, if already a handful of people had got loans for those apartments through their bank, they wouldn't loan to anyone else for that particular apartment block because that increased the risk for them. So it's not always a given that you're going to be able to get a loan from one institution for the
1: property you want. That is a really good point to bring up and it's kind of a side note here is you can have your pre-approval and you can do everything correctly. But then if you go and buy a property, which the bank isn't happy with, then they might still not give you the loan or they might ask you for a higher deposit, which you might not have. Now, generally, like you've just mentioned, when it's an apartment block, it's not usually going to be those smaller blocks of 20. It's usually those really massive ones where there's hundreds in them or like quite a few in them because those are higher risk properties for the bank just because there's very low scarcity. So those smaller blocks, not so much of an issue. But the banks also don't like things like tiny little apartments, which are less than 50 square meters. They don't like things which have commercial zoning. So sometimes apartments on main roads could have commercial zoning. There's certain properties, and this is not very common, but here in Melbourne, we've got what's called company share titles and the banks don't like them. It's kind of hard to explain, but basically you're buying a share in a company which owns that block and it sounds crazy and it looks like a regular block, there's no, nothing different. But in the contract, your conveyance or your legal rep will say, hey, FYI, this is one of those, in which case the bank may not give you a loan. So all of these extra things you need to think about, all the more reason to speak to a mortgage broker, because then throughout the process, you might send them the property and say, hey, just checking, is this going to be okay in terms of risk?
0: Yeah. So once you've worked out maybe what you're prepared to spend and what you need to save for, how do you start developing your property strategy on working out what location, how big of the house, do you want a backyard, all that sort of stuff?
1: This is, oh my gosh, this is a long process. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) well, it's sitting down at the very beginning and your budget will generally be fixed. You know, it'd be great to have limitless cash and then have whatever options you want. But if you have a certain budget, you then need to think, okay, based on that budget, what can I buy and what's important to me? So really sitting down and you might do this by yourself or with your partner and thinking, you know, do I want to focus on location? Is that more important to me? Or is the size of the property more important? Or is the distance to the local capital city more important? So starting to write all of these things down in terms of importance and priority and then working through that list and then starting to think, well, all right, if I want to tick these boxes, I might have to start moving further out. And you can use the map function. We can scan through all of the areas using that sold tab, remember, because the for sale tab, just because a property is advertised for a certain price doesn't mean it's going to sell for that price. And then slowly we might, be see, we might see that what we want is actually totally unachievable for our budget. And then we have to start thinking, well... What are we going to compromise on? You know, we can't always have everything we want. So, what are we happy to maybe compromise on now? And then hopefully, we can buy another property in the future that ticks those boxes. So, what we're aiming to do here is creating what I call a property brief for ourselves. And what the brief defines is our budget, our locations, and the characteristics of that property. And then checking that sold tab to make sure that's all achievable. And if we realise it's not tweaking that brief until we realise, all right, yep, this is achievable and then I'm ready to start.
0: Yeah, because you might work out that uh, getting a lawn, you have to be a little bit further away from work than maybe you expected. And I guess working out what's that priority? Do you want to be close to work, close to the CBD or further out? I personally love being right near, just down the road from a train station. So (laughs) um, that would be really important for me in the future.
1: Exactly, exactly. And then also with that budget, you might think, well, what I can afford, I just don't necessarily want to live in. And then you might explore the idea of rent vesting this property because property costs so much to buy and it's not an asset that you like shares that you can just wake up and say, all right, I'm going to sell this today and have the money in your bank account tomorrow. Ideally, this is a long-term strategy. And if I had to put a number of years on it, I would say when you're buying a property, ideally aim for holding that property for at least five years. So if you're looking at a little one bedroom apartment and you think, oh, this is great. I love this area. Well, can you see yourself living there for five years? If so, great. If not, you might need to reassess the strategy. Mm. And I guess you can think of your first home,
0: your first apartment as just that first rung on the ladder. It doesn't have to be your dream home or the forever home like maybe you've seen your parents have. It's just to get you started. As your career goes on and as you sort of work out what you need and want, you can
1: find somewhere that better fits your future needs. Absolutely. Absolutely. That being said, I wouldn't buy an apartment just for the sake of getting into the market if that apartment was compromised in any way. For example, if it was a tiny little one better or was on a main road or something that would potentially be difficult to resell because then if we're not getting any growth in that property over time, it's not actually doing anything for us except giving us housing security. So it is still thinking about, all right, well, is this actually a good asset too? And that is a whole different conversation. We're not going to have that today.
0: Yeah. I remember I was looking a few months ago, I was having a look and I saw an apartment. It was about a hundred thousand. And then I realized after looking a bit further, it was a student accommodation building. So (laughs) you weren't allowed to live there at all.
1: Yeah. So all of these, sometimes if you see something and it looks too good to be true, it's for a reason.
0: Yeah, so once once you've sort of worked out your brief and you're ready to start having a look and moving out of the the sold tab to the for sale tab, what are some steps there like um and some tips for going to inspections and auctions and all of that thing?
1: Yeah, so I mean this episode we're talking about all the things we're doing before we're actually ready to buy a property and you do have to immerse yourself in this research phase before you go out there because Just because you might have your finance ready doesn't necessarily mean you will be emotionally and mentally ready because we have to really get a feel for the market before we start being serious. And the way that I recommend doing this is just by spending a lot of time in that for sale and the sold tab. So having a look at what things are available and then checking what they sell for ultimately And tracking all of this, and you might do that in an Excel spreadsheet, you might do it in a Word document, hand notes, whatever you want to do. So then you can start getting a feel for the values in the area, going to inspections, going to auctions, and just involving yourself in that real estate world is important because then you can get a feel for the lingo. You can start getting a bit more comfortable speaking to the real estate agents. You can hear what other people are asking them and what they're saying. So like with anything, the more you get involved, the more comfortable and confident you'll feel when the time comes to actually make a decision. Because at the very beginning in property, especially, you don't know what you don't know. So by going out there and by speaking to people and by you know looking at properties and then doing the research yourself just for fun. So maybe figure trying to figure out how much that property might sell for and then seeing what it sells for and thinking oh, I want you know why did that happen um you'll just it's just all of that education process for yourself
0: yeah absolutely and and then you can also talk to some professionals like financial planners and accountants as well in this process can't you
1: yeah so the mortgage broker at the very beginning like i said is your best friend But then you may wish to speak to a financial planner. So they're the ones who are going to help you more create a longer term strategy and figure out how property fits within that strategy. They'll also potentially sit down with you and look at your personal insurances, so your income protection, your life insurance. And when you're taking on a large amount of debt, I think it's very worthwhile to make sure you're properly insured. You don't need to worry so much about getting your building inspector or your legal representative until you are closer to ready to buy. There's no point in calling someone out six months and say, hey, I'm going to call you in six months. We can save that for later. But you might also at this stage investigate um, speaking to a buyer's agent if that's a path you want to go down. And I also just recommend having a great accountant, whether you're buying a property or not, having a really good accountant on your team This especially comes into play if we're thinking about rent vesting because they'll be able to talk you through the implications for negative gearing and capital gains tax.
0: Mm, All those favourite Australian topics.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And when you're looking to find these professionals, I recommend referrals to begin with. If you know someone who's bought a property or your family uses someone We've got a friend who's who's used a professional in the past, ask them about their experience because that is a great way to meet professionals. Otherwise, just looking online, checking reviews, doing a bit of Google stalking about them. And then importantly, when you meet them, making sure you feel comfortable asking them questions because as a first home buyer, you'll be hearing all of these words that you've never heard of before. You don't want to feel like you can't ask them anything you always want to make sure that you're completely all over it because you're committing to quite a lot of money here. Um, And I have had clients in the past who have said to me, "Oh, I felt like my mortgage broker was a bit patronizing and I was too nervous to ask some questions. We don't want to feel like that. So when you're choosing a professional, make sure that you feel totally comfortable with them.
0: Mm, Absolutely. That's, really important. And I think there's so many concepts that people feel really stupid about asking. And some people do make you feel stupid for asking those questions. So you definitely don't want that when making uh, one of your, probably your first massive purchase.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I always, cause I've been doing this for so long, I always forget what 1st home buyers don't know. And I say to them, pull me up if I'm starting to you know, go on a tangent and use words that you've never heard of before, because I want you to understand all of this. I want you to feel Like you are empowered through this process and so you feel comfortable when the time comes to actually make a decision.
0: Absolutely. And in part two of this
1: episode, we're going
0: to dive into a little bit further on what happens when you're ready to buy. So stay tuned for that. And thank you so much for joining me today, Amy. Thanks, Kate. Thank you for listening to this episode of the How To Money podcast. If you enjoyed this, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and send any questions our way via www.howtomoney.online. You can also catch us on Twitter and Instagram at HowToMoneyAUS and we'd love to hear from you. You've been listening to the How To Money Podcast.